Hi everyone, welcome to episode four of Morning Matcha. I'm here today with our guest, Jacob Tobia, who is a writer, producer, and leading voice for gender non-conforming folk. Hi. Howdy. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for giving me some tea. So I have Jacob here with us today because I want to educate myself on all things gender. Mm. And you're the person to help me learn. Right? Well, I mean, I think I am I am one of many wonderful trans and gender nonconforming cuties who I think I think we're, you know, we're in this moment where it's not that I, I prefer to think of it as, you know, everyone's sort of like, oh, it's it's like um, it's like the tipping point or whatever. Oh, it's like this new thing that people are talking about. But I prefer to think of it less as um, like a new frontier and more as just a renaissance, you know, that it's just it's something that's like, you know, that's always been around. But it's just kind of like coming, coming back. back into yeah. conversation, coming back into, um, you know, a level of cultural relevance that it hasn't had for a while, you know? Yeah. Because I, and I think it's that it's sort of this, this, this rebirth in a way of the, of how we're thinking about gender. And it's it's super exciting, but it's disorienting for people who are getting, you know, a lot of mixed messages about what's going on. And some people who just don't know, I mean, who have never even thought about it Mm -hmm. before. And all of a sudden they're like, what? Yeah. Which I love that you brought, or you mentioned Renaissance because like we could talk about the history of mm-hmm. it a little mm-hmm. bit and different cultures and yeah. Um, how, did you ever see Three Hundred? Oh, that movie about Sparta or whatever. Yeah. This is Sparta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did. I did. So I mean, didn't people talk about? Wasn't there a scene in that movie where, right? I don't remember what. Wait, which scene are you talking about? There was about? a scene where they were like having an orgy, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone mm-hmm. was just like in everyone's business but it was like amazing and that's just how they well in ancient sparta actually i mean like speaking of the way that gender worked like in ancient sparta like all the soldiers would would all have sex with each other because they and would take lovers who were fellow soldiers because they believed that if your lover was on the front lines with you you would fight harder wow yeah like i mean that's like a real thing like that that was like totally like it's a historical fact you know i mean you're not taught about it a lot of times in grade school or whatever yeah um but that and that wasn't viewed as some sort of breach of masculinity. Like mm-hmm. it was part of masculinity to have like a male lover who is a fellow soldier. Yeah, you know. And so it's like, yeah, things like that. I remember, you know, when I first started learning about just how broad um, the history of gender and of sexuality is, I was like, whoa, because you know, history is written by the victors or whatever. History is mm-hmm. written by the oppressors. It's written by the people who came out on top. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the the myth that we're told is that gender is always uh the same way that it's always been the same way it's like you know it's like the same thing that back when we were having lots of debates about same-sex marriage or whatever people were like oh but marriage has always been the same institution and everyone was all these historians were just like bro no like <laughs> sorry dude but like hate to bur- hate to burst that bubble but mm-hmm. like marriage has changed a gazillion times and what it means has changed a gazillion times and and gender is the exact same way you know it's never been like it's never been something that's like been this like static edifice that you know it's like it's like this like fluid weird thing that like that effervesces and moves throughout time you know and and i and i think that you know when i came to a place in my own sort of like heart and spirit where i embraced that 
I started, I stopped seeing myself as a weirdo and just started seeing myself as like part of a natural flow of, of, of culture and of the world around us, you know? And when did that happen for you? I mean, it was bit by bit. It was bit by bit, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't all at once. Like I didn't have an aha moment. Mm -hmm. It was little things. Like I remember, um, the first time I put on nail polish in my adult life, it was probably, it was my freshman year of college and I walked across the street to the, um, to the Dollar General. There was a Dollar General across the street from my dorm uh, on campus. And I bought this like gold glittery nail polish or whatever. Um, and I put it on sort of, and what I was telling myself when I was putting on was like, oh, this is an experiment. Like I'm just experimenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I put it on and then it dried. And then I was like, and then I looked at it in the mirror and I looked at it on my hands and I was just like, oh my God. And then I I realized that I'd actively forgotten that there were a few times when I was a kid that I had painted my nails, that I had asked to do it um, and been told I couldn't, and then like gone over to my neighbor Katie's house, um, and Katie was you know Katie is a girl, and uh, and her mom was like you know she was much more able to kind of just like encourage my gender exploration, Mm -hmm. I think, um, than my own mom was because my own mom had to deal with the consequences of it. And she didn't, you know, she was kind of like the, it's like, you know, you have like the fun uncle or whatever who lets you, who lets you play too much PlayStation or whatever, Mm -hmm. because they don't have to deal with the long-term consequences Mm -hmm. of you eating like all the candy and then running home. You know, they just let you eat all the candy, then send you home and your parents have to deal with when you crash from the Mm -hmm. sugar high. And I remember that you know, I remembered in that moment, like, oh my God, no, this isn't the first time I've painted my nails. And, oh, this is actually something that I really had a deep desire to do from a very early age. And I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, and it wasn't like that in that, in that one moment, like all of this came crashing down on me. It was more just kind of like that. I was, it was sort of just a moment where I went like, huh, I wonder what this means. And then, you know, I feel like my life over the past decade has been just countless moments of, huh, I wonder what this means. Huh? Mm-hmm. I wonder what that means. And so it's been, it's been, it hasn't been a dramatic process. It's been a, it's been a gradual, like, I mean, there's been moments of drama, but like, you know, it's been a gradual step-by-step journey. And, and that's how I encourage everyone to think about their gender. Like no one's gender journey is ever done, yeah. you know, like no one ever reaches an end point because your gender like changes over your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're all on, you know, we're all like in different iterations of our own journey, you know? Yeah. What, tell us a little bit about gender dis, what is it? Dif, dysphoria, dysphoria and yeah. gender euphoria. Oh yeah. So, so the, um, so I, before I moved to Los Angeles, I was working at this really dope, um, international, uh, LGBTQ foundation called the Australia lesbian foundation for justice. Um, and you know, like it's one of the, like, you know, they're, they're like the coolest international LGBT funder out there. You know, they fund like grassroots organizations all over the entire world and, and fund people who are doing like such vital work and who are often under supported by like international philanthropy circles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and right before I, uh, right before I left that job, um, they, they had made these shirts. Um, they'd worked with like some really cool tattoo artist and they designed these shirts that said, um, gender euphoria and that had like little birds, you know, like tattoo style yeah, birds. It totally on it. looked like a tattoo. Yeah, shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the idea of it is that, you know, in the, in the trans community, we talk so much about gender dysphoria, about the idea of like really, um, feeling not at home in your body or feeling really not at home in your gender, um, or, 
feeling really not at home in your community, you know, but sort of the, the, the pain and the, 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 you know, depression or the sadness or the struggle that comes with learning to affirm yourself. You know, that's what the idea of dysphoria is. Um, and it's interesting because we spend so much time talking about that, but, but we don't spend very much time talking about gender euphoria, which, you know, euphoria, that's the, that's like the opposite of, you know, it's the opposite of dysphoria. It's like what, what is when you feel most at home in your body? What is when you feel best about who you are and about your gender in the world? Like what communities and spaces make you feel like you're on top of the world, you know? So and like what turns you on? Like kind of, yeah. About yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what, like what, what turns you on? What brings you alive? Mm -hmm. Like what, because I think that's such a better thing to focus on. You know, I, I think it's easy in a lot of the PR and a lot of the press that's happened around the trans community over the past five years, it's really easy to talk to, I think people are really curious about what trans people don't like about ourselves mm -hmm. because people are, because people can't imagine that we just love ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so we have, we've had these sort of set of narratives built up about trans trauma and about trans sadness and about trans struggle that now I think a lot of young trans people who grew up, have grown up seeing these kinds of narratives have like internalized, mm -hmm. you know, and I've sort like, of like, like now it's, there's almost this feeling that you have to have all this trauma in order to earn your transness mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and I'm like, I don't know where we fucked up, but like we fucked up if that's how we're thinking about this. Yeah. Right. Like, yes, we have struggles. Yes. There is real trauma. Yes. Like sometimes your body hurts. Like, yes, all of that. But like what we should be focusing on as a community is like, what, what turns you on? What brings you to life? What makes you feel best in your body and in your, in your identity and in your selfhood? Like, that's what we should focus on because that's a message of healing and a message of empowerment and something that actually moves us forward mm -hmm. rather than, than stalling us in our own pain. Yeah. I mean, that's what gets you closer to yourself yeah. and the relationship you're, that you're building. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the idea of gender euphoria also is not unique to trans people. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I For mean, like, across all. Yeah. Gender, yeah. Like you have moments of gender euphoria. Mm -hmm. And is that um, similar to, masculinity femininity mm. how would you i mean i think that like i think that gender that for that finding your own euphoria sometimes is about figuring out what kinds of masculinity and femininity feel good for you mm -hmm. right like so for some people you know your euphoric place may be like well i'm wearing my like butch combat boots and my punk rocker skirt and my you know like dark black lipstick and like my torn up tube top, mm -hmm. you know, and for, and like, it's a little butch, it's a little femme, it's a little masculine, it's a little feminine, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's this certain location. Blend. Yeah. It's a certain location between masculine and feminine, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and for some people, their gender euphoria may just be like, I am wearing a cute suit, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and for some people it might just be like this cocktail dress makes me look incredible. And my ass looks awesome, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, you know, like it, it relates to masculinity and femininity, um, in terms of finding, finding sort of what, what combination or, or blend of all of those elements feels good for you on a given day and giving yourself permission to let that change. You know, mm -hmm. like we all have days where we want to be more chill and low key, where we want to be more like, uh, butch and edgy or days we want to be more soft, like, you know, like 
like soft but dapper or days we want to be more like handsome but floral you know like we all have like we all evolve in those ways too I think in some ways finding your gender euphoria can be a spiritual practice Mm -hmm. about checking in with yourself daily to ensure that you're that you feel like you're living into um a most authentic version of self you know and it's It's something that expands so far beyond just people who use the word trans to describe their identity. And do you think that there are people in the community that think that you have to be one or the other that Mm. conform to the gender binary? And can you explain Mm. that to people who don't know what a gender binary is? So there's there's a lot of pressure um, in the world we live in in general to, to either be sort of like a man's man or a woman's woman you know, to be a masculine guy or a feminine girl. Like there's, there's a lot of pressure to conform to this idea that there are two genders in the world around us. Um, and the people who I think face the most difficult time in terms of gender, um, are people who in some way or another don't fit into one of those two molds perfectly, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, and in some ways we've at least made some progress, right? I think that over the past, um, over the past century, there's been some real growth in sort of the amount of room within the box of womanhood that mm-hmm. exists, right? And I think, you know, we've we've seen some growth a little bit maybe within the box of masculinity and sort of like what it means to be a good man. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> although I, I, I would argue less growth in that area than, we ha- than we've seen in sort, of, in, so, uh, in sort of the woman end of the spectrum. Um, but all of that really places a lot of pressure on, on trans folks, you know? Um, Cause a lot of times, like, you know, if you grow up, if you grow up and the world tells you, you can only, you know, you can only have like green eyes or brown eyes and you have blue eyes, like you're going to have to figure out what to call them. Right. Mm-hmm. If no one even gave you a name for talking about something that's, that it describes you, Sometimes you'd be like, well, I guess my eyes are green, even mm-hmm. though all along they've been something else. Right. And so I think that that there's a, a lot of pressure that trans people face to pick one or the other, to say, to, to declare like I am either a trans man or a trans woman. Yeah. Because when you say, I'm not sure if I'm either of those things, it's a lot, it's a lot more confusing for people because it really it calls into question the entire system of gender and sort of says, look, like I'm not sure if this whole system is actually encompassing all of the human diversity that we have naturally in, in our world, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's, you know, there's, there's an, there's an incredible pressure for, for trans people to, to fit one or the other. And I wonder what it means on a, on a national level and on, on a movement level to create more space to not have to fit into that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think an important element of that work is not just talking about how trans people are presenting ourselves or thinking about ourselves, but talking about how everyone is, yeah. right? That we actually all play a role in creating a more gender expansive world. Mm-hmm. You know, we all play a role in creating a world where people can um, can can live into their gender in a way that feels good for them and, and building a world where everyone can find their gender euphoria, you know? Because yeah. I, And I think that's actually the work the some of the greatest work that's left to be done in the trans movement currently, because sometimes I feel like the visibility around trans people has given a lot of people the false idea that like cisgender people, you know, people who are like not transgender, mm-hmm. like don't have any experiences with gender. 
mm-hmm. right? Like as if cis, as if, as if people who identify as men or as women and were assigned those identities at birth, like as if their identity is totally stable and doesn't change and doesn't have a role in, to play in any of this. Yeah. And it's like, no, like we need to have a, we need to have a movement and we need to have a conversation that calls everyone into talking about mm-hmm. their experience with gender. Because like, you know, cis guys are walking around with some of the most trauma that I know in certain ways. Right. Like, and it's so unrecognized a lot of times the, the pressure around being a good man and the way to be that, like, and we don't acknowledge it and we don't talk about it. And, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of cis women don't like, you know, don't still don't feel like they have a, have safe spaces to talk about what they're experiencing, you know? And, and so it's, I think it's, it's about having a broader conversation than just trans people. I think the conversation has is mixed up between gender and sexuality and people Mm -hmm. can't distinguish the difference or figure. I think the talk is more on sexuality rather than Mm -hmm. gender Mm -hmm. and people who haven't taken the time to figure out the difference aren't maybe aware that they could even look into their own gender and their own, well, their own gender journey or experience and Like I'm talking about specifically cis men and women yeah, and I mean everyone, but like, I think I like, okay, for example, we're talking about trans people and how people who have an issue with it, it's really, it brings up things that they have an issue with themselves, right? Totally. Totally. And so what does it bring up about themselves? And they don't even know that they can look into their own gender. Mm-hmm. So it's like trans the trans community is giving people permission kind of in a way in a roundabout way i think people who are who understand i think people who embrace the trans community and embrace this moment that we're in are realizing the ways in which the trans community is giving them permission to like ask questions of themselves Mm -hmm. and and grow into their identity in a new and exciting way but i think for other people you know it's if you're if you're walking around with this huge chip on your shoulder and you see someone else who just like has, has gotten over theirs and is, Mm -hmm. and is free and is happy. Like that's where so much of the discrimination that trans people face comes from because you have all these people who have all that, and and most of them identify as like cisgender who have all this sadness and hurt around their gender identity. And they've been taught to keep their head down and just deal with it. And then they see someone else out there saying, Hey, this isn't right. And then they're like, I've been spending my whole life just keeping my head down and dealing with this. Why can't you do the same thing? Mm-hmm. And and then there's this feeling almost of like, you're too free. Like, and I'm hurt, I'm hurt and you're too free. So I have to find a way to punish you or discriminate against you or, you know, make it so you can't pee when you go to school. <laughs> yeah. You know, misery loves company. Totally. Yeah. And, and it's like, I think that there are so many people out there who have never felt the freedom or the community love that they've needed to really just reflect on parts of their gender that felt good and parts of their gender that felt bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, until we're able to do that healing work, I think we're going to still have a lot of big problems as a, as a culture, you know, like Republicans, I like, you know, the Republicans who are doing all this stuff around trans bathrooms right now. And like, you know, like I'm, I'm less interested in thinking about, I'm less interested in sort of telling them that they're awful and more interested in asking the question, like who hurt you? dude, mm-hmm. like who hurt you? Like someone hurt you and you're clearly hurting. Like what's you're going on in there? Fear, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, di- like, 
did your father tell you that you were never going to be a good enough man or something? Like what's going on with you? Mm -hmm. Like, and let's, let's heal that because you're in power right now and you're acting from a place of trauma and we need, we need leaders and, you know, elected officials who are at a slightly more healed place than you are. Mm -hmm. If they're going to be able to make decisions that help everybody. Yeah. Like who hurt you, dude? What, and what do you have to say? What else do you have Mm -hmm. to say on that? Like, what does this mean? I mean, what I think, what I think the good news is in all of this is just that this is such a great opportunity for all of us, you know? Um, but the hard part that the part that I think is going to be challenging, and it's something that I'm still figuring out how to do in my own work is that I think we really have to revisit the conversation we're having around masculinity and even rethink the way we talk about privilege in the context of gender, because I think that right now, you know, there's, there's an, the popular understanding, at least like when you look on the internet when you look on the blogosphere and when you think about sort of what the unspoken rules are or the spoken rules, sometimes it's that like, okay, men are oppressing women. And so men have to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like that message doesn't seem to be resonating with men or transforming the way that, that men are acting in the world around us. Right. Like I don't see it working in yeah, right now. Not. I don't we see it being that, correct, yeah, right? Like exactly. I don't see it being deeply effective. So I'm much more interested instead in saying men are oppressing women. Why are they doing that? Like what's underneath that and how do we heal it? Because yeah. that helps us all, right? Like I'm just, I think that if, if, if we take an antagonistic perspective or an antagonist, if, if we, if we, you know, treat masculinity and men, cis men, in an antagonistic way, all you're doing is taking someone who's already traumatized and who already has so many issues and further burying them. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more interested in being like, dude, we got to talk about your shit, okay? Because you got some shit and we yeah. got to talk about it because normal people who are happy don't hurt people like this. Mm-hmm. So like, what's going on? And I just think that figuring out it's, it's so much easier. It's so much easier to just be like, yeah, fuck cis hetero guys. Like they're terrible and they're awful. It's so much easier to just say that (laughs) and like put it on a poster and march around and be like, they're terrible. But it's much harder to be like, dude, are you okay? Yeah. What is going on with you? Why are you such a dick? Yeah. (laughs) They're not going to open up if we're just yelling at them. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And it's not, it's like there is a place for yelling at people, but there's a way to yell at people that actually has them hear you. You know how, I mean, we don't, you know, we need training for that. It's hard. It's really hard, but, but it's, but I think even like even just shifting from being like men as oppressors to being like men as traumatized children mm-hmm. is probably a really effective shift in, 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 in our feminist movement. You know, that if we just understand that most men or not most, not, not all, but like a good chunk of men in our society are functioning out of childhood trauma that they have never recovered from. Like we might find strategies that engage folks in a different way. And what about our children right now? How can we, so mm. we have to like do something to fix the old people or we mm. want to help them. But what about the kids that are like trying to get them to not be traumatized? Mm. I mean, I think it's so much of it is about changing the way that we, I mean, changing the, 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 the customs that we have around, around child um, rearing and around and around raising children, you know, because 
I mean, like, I mean, just think about like, like gender reveal parties. Like that's still a thing. I literally was just watching Blackish last Uh night, which I love that show, but they had a gender reveal party and I'm like, people actually do this. People do it all the time. And it's the thing is, it's like, I mean, it's like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like is that is that a human alive and speaking yet? <laughs> no, like no that 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 little baby human is still in utero and they can't use words yet. Mm-hmm. So they really I don't think they can tell you what their gender is. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that you know it's like it's like I mean maybe if they wanted to call it like a genitals reveal party, yeah. like a genital revealing party, like hey our child is gonna have these genitals, yeah. like <laughs> that, you, like that's what we're doing. We're not actually talking about the kid's gender because you don't know the kid's gender yet. You only mm-hmm. know your child's gender after they tell you what feels good for them. Yeah. You know, and so, and even that notion, like there are so many people like online in the real world, whatever, who just even that notion is too much for them. The mm-hmm. idea that you don't know your kid's gender for real until they tell you that like they're happy with X mm-hmm. and, and people have this idea. I think that if you raise your kid without telling them all the time that they're a boy or a girl, that they're going to be lost in the world. And I'm like, nah, dude, they're just going to like ha- be able to feel like they actually ha- played a part yeah. in deciding their life for themselves. What about like pronouns then? Mm. So I know in terms of what people like, there's, he, she, there. Mm-hmm. But what if you're introducing someone or you're you're talking about someone like, oh, this is my. Yeah. I mean, I think you can just say, so I think you can just say my child. Hey, this is my but child. But what about this someone that's like in their thirties? Oh, like this is my, like what? If you're like adult kid or just your friend? It's no, it's like your parent and wants to, and inter- was talking about, you know, I, th- I was just thinking about that the other day. Like yeah. how would like. Yeah. How would a parent reference their son or daughter, but they don't want to say a son or daughter? My kid. My kid. My kid. You're yeah. always a kid. Yeah. You can just be like, he's yeah. my kid. Because yeah. I mean, like, son and daughter are both kind of like. Still yeah, kiddish. Child. Yeah, yeah, you're like, right. It's yeah, still like, kiddish. This is my kid. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, my mom can always call me her kid. I can be 53 and my mom can still be like, this is my kid. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, correct. Yeah. You know, or like, this is my child, Jacob. This is my kiddo. This is yeah. my offspring <laughs> i know that's so true and like Son with parent stuff is- you know you can you can do the same thing you can just be like oh this is like i mean if you want to say mother or father you can and if you want to say like there's my parent mm-hmm. these are my folks and what about um what was i just i like totally lost my train of thought i don't I know, even know why i like confusing. looked outside and saw my dog okay oh my god if i looked if <laughs> i i'm not looking towards that window but if i were facing to the window where your dog was i would be getting distracted too i would actually have gotten up from this interview probably 20 minutes ago and gone outside to pet i know oh my gosh well pet little cessna yeah once sorry i like literally lost my train of thought and it was so good it's fine but look it, how like, gorgeous that, that little good. polar bear out there is like her eyes are like like they're like hypnotic you know, like they just clear your mind and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're stress free and happy. Stop talking about her. I'm going to keep talking about your puppy. Oh my That's God. That's the other thing that I think is actually really interesting. People what? are so obsessed with the gender of their animals. And I'm like, your animal literally doesn't speak English. Yeah. Well, I mean, like my animal humps. I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> she humps dogs all the time. Yeah. And she's whatever, spayed, neutered. I don't even know yeah. the word for She was trying to yeah. hump them. And she just wants it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, like, can a girl can like, you know, and it's like, can, can, can a little pupper just like, you know, 
maybe a hump a pillow without everyone being like, that's not ladylike. Yeah. It's like, well, she's not a lady, or at least not a human lady. You know, I mean, like, it's a, it's a dog. It's, she's a dog. Well, that that's actually what I was going to say. What about people who subscribe to the gender binary because of genitals? Yes. And so they're like, clearly there's two because there's either penises or vaginas but like that's not medically true even yeah because they're yeah Yeah, like intersex folks there's like like it's like something like one out of 100 children are born to some sort of variation of like intersex and chromosomal conditions right like and also even within i mean like and also i think that that takes a really like the idea that like genitals are the only part of gender like scientifically this that that's just not true right like like there's there's different ways that brains are formatted around gender. There's different levels of hormones, right? Like there's there's so many different dimensions to physiological sex even. Like there's so many different dimensions to like what an average woman or an average man or average female or an average male body is. And if you look at all of those indicators together, you see that there's incredible diversity, mm-hmm. you know, and that there are people who have bodies that are more male and less male, but are still all categorized as male and bodies that are more female and less female, but are still all categorized as female. Yeah. And if we just, if we just, inv- you know, if, if we just stopped looking at it as only two and just sort of started to realize like, this is always an, ha- this is always a spectrum and it always has been a spectrum that, you know, science has sort of artificially split up. I think that we realize like that both gender expression and sort of gender identity and like physiological bodies are all on a spectrum that mm-hmm. there, that there is, it's, you can't really sort even bodies. You can't cleanly sort them into one of two things. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean like, sure. If it, I mean, I like, I think also it's, you know, for some people it just feels more convenient to just be like, well, there's only two kinds of people and that's what I was taught. And that's what I want to understand for the rest of my life. And I'm like, well, I can't, you know, like I can't help you there. Mm-hmm. If you want the world to be as exactly as it was and exactly the way that you were taught it and can't understand that maybe it's, a, it might be a little different than you were taught it. Then like, we may have some bigger problems here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you may, you may just not be wanting to live in a world where things change and where maybe everything you were told when you're growing up isn't quite right. It's like getting old and not wanting to use email or technology. Yeah. yeah like people, I mean that it really is though. Yeah. Like there's a certain generation of people who are just like this darn fangled new iPad <laughs> and these darn fangled new genders. Snapchat. I don't get how to send a new email. I don't understand how to Snapchat and I don't get why we can't just have boys and girls. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, you know what? Like if you don't like them, that's fine. But just how about you don't like punish people or like not allow them to use public facilities just because <laughs> they're on Snapchat and or are trans, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you cannot, and you can, there's a way to like, just be like, I don't understand this. And this is a darn fangled new thing and, and be not an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I'm asking from people really. It's just like, can you please just not be an asshole? Yeah. Like, I know. You, you know, it's not that much to ask. I love the way that you described gender in terms of just different, Men, or what did you say? Like, it's like in relation to religion, mm. it's like everyone subscribes to a different. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I actually like thought of that. Like I, I had never used that metaphor I before until I was writing that. it. It just made so much sense to me. Well, yeah. Like that, that there, that there are different, that there are as many understandings of gender throughout human history as there are understandings of God. 
you know, some people believe that there were thousands of gods. Some people believe that there are, you know, that there's a trinity. Some people believe that there is only one. Some people believe that there's none. Some people believe that God is everywhere. You know, like, and 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 throughout human history, there's been each each culture and each society has had a different understanding of of what God is. Um, and in the same way, each culture and each society has had a different understanding of what gender is and what our bodies are, you know? And and I think that it's it's important to talk about it that way because the biggest lie that we're told about gender is that gender has always been the same mm-hmm. and that gender is the same everywhere. And that's even in today's world, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Like there are cultures, you know, I think, I think, you know, colonialism and imperialism and sort of global conquest of Western ideas has made it so that there is greater, you know, it's, it's more homogenous, like that there is, um, that a lot of people have adopted a Western understanding of gender in the same way that a lot of people have adopted Christianity around the world, you know, and like in the same way that we've exported the idea of sort of Western capitalism and the mm-hmm. way that the economic system should function, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that, that, but, but understanding that that is a, that that's, that that's a regional phenomenon that's been taken globally and then pretends that it has been there all along. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like, understandings of gender are as diverse as understandings of God and are almost equally spiritual. Yeah. You know, because it's about how we understand the core of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like I really do think, um, I really do. The older I get, the more I feel myself to be doing really like that, that this work around gender identity and this work around creating a world in which gender expression is able to be more open and fluid and, and affirming it. I mean, it's deeply spiritual work. You know, it's about going to the core of who people understand themselves to be and saying you are enough. What about the fact that, I mean, what are, do religion, what does religion say about gender? I mean, it depends on which religion you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like each religion has different ideas about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think, uh, within Abrahamic traditions, there's even like, there's even different people say different things. And, you know, some texts have been. Like, I mean, I was, one of my friends was telling me that like, there are some, um, within the Talmud in Judaism, there are some passages that talk about like six genders, Really, you know, and, and, and that there's understandings of, of third and fourth gendered people that are in a lot of different biblical texts. Um, but a lot of those have been kind of omitted or, or like taken out of the formal canon mm-hmm. because they didn't sort of suit the purpose of whoever was at the, in, at the head of the church, or, you know, at the time, um, but like, I think, you know, religious faiths around the world take really different views on a lot of this stuff and, and incorporate so much. I mean, within one of the spiritual practices that I think is most beautiful, and I, I'm not an expert on it, so I can't, I, you know, all I can say is go read more about it. But, um, you know, two-spirit tradition within a lot of, uh, you know, Native American, um, uh, com- like, cultures and, and communities was this really cool understanding that, there are some people who have both masculine and feminine within them. Um, and that was understood in a spiritual and religious way. I mean, again, I'm not like a, a deep expert on it, so I can't speak more um, knowledgeably than that about it. But I, but I can say that, you know, especially in a lot of cultures that were wiped out under sort of like imperialism and colonization, there were profoundly different understandings of, of gender. And those different understandings of gender were often linked to religious practice and tradition Mm -hmm. and spiritual understandings of the world. 
So in terms of our current political climate Eesh. and the refugee crisis mm-hmm. and me finding out that you're, are you half Syrian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grandparents yeah. on my dad's side immigrated, like Syrian, Lebanese, like right on the border, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of like, uh, blah, blah. but do you get emotional about what's going on or do you have any family that's still there? I think the biggest emotion that I have around, particularly around like the, you know, the refugee crisis um, in Syria and in, and sort of the violence that's going on there right now is is just a lot of like shame actually because I'm not deeply connected to my heritage at all. Like you know my 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 grandparents on my dad's side immigrated in like the 50s back when like it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't the patchwork quilt analogy. It was like very much the melting pot and the goal when you were you know if you if you could if you were an Arab immigrant was to like pass as white and have everyone forget that you were Arab, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, like my grandparents, you know, like I, I ate the food, you know, growing up, like my grand, you know, my grandma made like kibbeh and, and, you know, like we, they grew grape leaves in their back of, in their backyard and we would roll them together, Yum. you know? And like, like, I'm still very picky to this day about how hummus is made. Cause I'm like, no, it needs to be a little bit less you know there's I feel like there's always too much tahini compared to what my grandma made you know like there's I have that kind of connection but in terms of a broader like a deeper you know like all I know is that my grandparents were on a like you know had a farm and then they came here but like they didn't tell me a ton about like the history of of what was going on in Syria before they left they didn't tell me about I didn't I don't think I really grew up with an understanding deeply of like what it meant to be an Arab American um and you know tried you know, like in my early college years and stuff to really try and connect with my grandmother more about like, tell me more stories, like tell me more about this, show me on a map, even just like point on a map to like where you lived. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we had never done that. And, you know, by the time I really had a hunger for more, like, you know, she was kind of like, you know, she was not all there anymore. And like, you know, her brain wasn't quite working the same way that it, it, it did. And then, you know, she passed away in my senior year of college. And I just feel like all this knowledge went with her, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so it's like, I know that there's so much going on and I know that I have extended family there who must be going through something, but I don't know even know their names. Wow. You know, I'm like, I'm really disconnected and, and it's, it's something that I just feel a lot of, um, just a lot of like a lot of shame and guilt about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what I'm, one of the things I'm thinking through, you know, as I go down this journey, especially into being more in the public eye, um, is like, what does it mean to, how do I own the fact that I'm Arab American in a more public way? Um, and, and how do I keep bringing it back into the conversation as a white passing Arab? Yeah. You know, because no one looks at me and thinks like, oh, you're Arab. I mean, they might look at me like I get more often than not. People are just like, oh, like you're Jewish. Right. And mm. but people don't look at me and assume that I'm you know, Arab or assume that I'm Syrian. Right. And they talk about those parts of the world as if that's not where I'm from. You yeah. know, and so I'm, I'm trying to think more about like, what does it mean to take accountability for the fact that I've been able to pass as white for all this time when a lot of Arabs are darker skinned than me and can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does it mean to find some way of starting to more connect, connect more authentically with, with my heritage, but it's tough. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, not an easy endeavor. No. I mean, I feel, I feel more, I grew up with my grandparents. I mean, yeah. my parents are also 
So your parents immigrated as my, well? My grandparents on my dad's okay. side. So yeah. your dad was born here? Yes. My oh, dad's yeah. a first-generation American. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But it he, is... like, grew up speaking Arabic, and, you know, like, he was... It's so funny, because, like, he, um, you know, he, like, grew up bringing, like, pita and hummus to school and got made fun of mercilessly by all the little white kids. And now all the little bougie white kids are bringing pitas and hummus <laughs> to school. That is the story of my life. It's I didn't so speak English until I was five, and I brought this, like yogurt that has garlic in it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like garlic cucumber yogurt oh god it's so yummy no one would sit next to me and i couldn't speak english and it was just like so traumatizing i Ugh. didn't eat garlic again until i was 23 that's so, like so crazy that's so sad garlic is like the best thing I in know. the whole universe now i'm like i don't care don't sit next to me don't kiss me to my husband my, I'm this. honestly my number one rule about my life partner whoever they may be mm -hmm. um is that they're listening right they, now they are they better be <laughs> call me um <laughs> is that they need to love garlic as much as i do because the thing is that if you both eat a really garlicky dinner then you can both make out and not really notice yeah but if only one person loves garlic then like we're never gonna hook up but garlic and onion are different you can't do like one does garlic, one does onion. Cause the onion. Yeah. You both got to go yeah, all in. You got to right? go like, all in if on you both. Want, if you're ready, mm -hmm. if you like want to commit to me emotionally, <laughs> that means you have to commit to like loving onions and garlic Yeah. or else like, I just don't feel like you're there for me, mm -hmm. you know? And nothing tastes, I mean, I can't, I have to have onion in everything. Yes. That's the way it is. It I doesn't mean, taste as good. My grandfather and I probably like, you know, he, I, he always, we always, one of our special, like bonding things was that I was the only grandchild who would just sit down and like eat onion, raw onions and pita with him. Oh my God. Which, you know, that's too. such like an Arab grandpa thing to do. <laughs> um, and, and like, you know, I, so I, I think the more that I claim onions and garlic in my life, the more I'm getting back in touch with my, you know, it's spiritual and so ancestral roots. True. Did you ever watch holes? Or read the book. Yes. And they that ate the onions like at the end. That was my life. Yes. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to live forever. And everyone in my elementary school, my like white ass suburb was like, oh, like, you know, oh, eating the onions is so weird. And I was like, my grandpa does that. Yeah. I do that with my grandpa. <laughs> eating onions is not a weird way to gain nutrition. They're yeah. delicious. So funny. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it all comes back to it Shia. It totally goes back to Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I totally forgot. Oh my God. Um, I love what he's doing right now. I, he's Slash such a little weirdo. arrested and I don't know where he is. Um, okay. So that goes back to your message. And yeah. I just kind of want to end on that note of what, What's in store for you? What are you up to? What are you trying to bring to the world? And um, yeah, give us a little bit of a preview. I think that right now I'm, I think I spent the first two or three years of my life after graduating college um, trying to get other people to love and support what I was doing and the stories I wanted to tell. And I think that I'm finally starting to realize that all I need to do is just fall more deeply in love with the art and the stories that I want to tell and that the rest will come, you know? So yeah. I think like what I'm really focusing on right now is trying not to be anything for anyone, trying not to create just to seek others approval, um, trying to ground in like creating my own work that I'm in love with mm -hmm. and knowing and having faith that everything else will work out. That's where I'm feeling right now. That's beautiful. Which means like, you know, I'm working on a book and I'm going to like, you know, and it's, and it's not in the voice that I think you have to write a trans book in, you know, 
it's just me talking as me. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm after that, I want to work on, you know, some, some screenplays and a pilot and try and get something produced and try and get some actual storytelling out there that feels like it, you know, that, that feels like it has some of my heart in it. So that's kind of what's in store for me, but it's a bit amorphous at the moment. Well, I'm really excited for you and I can't mm. wait to read your book and watch your screenplay. Yeah. Just give it like two or three years. Yeah. We'll get them all out then. <laughs> 13 years sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Should we fun. cheers? Yeah. With our I'm like you have totally any done. Oh, okay. Well, it was then so good. I, I, um, I'm still, I was, I was talking too much. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thanks. Mm.